Hello and welcome to the How to Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Georgialis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This is a podcast that looks at the widely uncelebrated art of eating alone and explores topics surrounding loneliness and aloneness, which are not necessarily the same thing. I've been talking to different people about their own experiences of solitude and solo dining. With each episode, I've shared a recipe designed to be cooked and eaten by one person and one person only because, let's face it, most recipes are written for two or more people. I have finally joined the mid-30s club, turning 34 at the end of June. Typically, I've always had a bit of a fear of waking up on my birthday alone. This year, however, things changed. I'm currently single. I don't have a housemate. I don't live with family. It was just me and my dog. Because I've been working a lot recently, my birthday took a bit of a backseat and I let it creep up on me, leaving the celebrations to be organised by my family who took me out in the evening for a fancy dinner, which was really nice. But I actively decided that I would spend the day by myself and that included waking up on my own. I decided to do some small nice things. I didn't go to work. I made myself breakfast. I walked my dog in my favourite local park. I went for a haircut. I had a therapy session. And then after my therapy session, I had a bit of time to kill before dinner. And I realised I was quite close to Parliament Hill, which, if you don't know is an amazing viewpoint in Hampstead Heath in North London. You can see the whole of the city skyline from the top of the hill. I saw a new kind of fancy bottle shop had opened just across the road from the heath. So I bought myself two tins of posh, cold, white wine spritzers and I climbed to the top of the hill and I sat overlooking the view by myself and I drank my tins and I, and I just thought about the past year. And I also thoroughly failed to recognise myself as the person who used to be absolutely terrified of spending her birthday alone. Personally, I didn't really enjoy my 20s and I've relished every year of being in my 30s, difficult though they've been. To me, it feels really good to get older and to leave the chaos of being a very young person behind Having looked back at my podcast, though, I realise now that most of my guests, they're mostly all in their mid to late 30s. I'm not sure if this is good podding. I think that this might be something I need to work on, as my aim for this podcast is that it offers a diverse perspective of solitude. And I guess if everyone's in the same age category, then that won't necessarily happen. But I will say this one thing. I think all parts of life can be lonely, but... The point between your late 20s and early 30s can be really isolating if we're not doing the things that society really values. So if we haven't found our ideal career yet or if we haven't met our life partners, if we don't have a stable home, if we haven't had children yet, there is such a sudden and stark contrast between being in your 20s and being in your 30s. When we're in our 20s, generally, I mean, I guess it depends where you are in the world, we're given free reign really to explore and to get things wrong, and to make mistakes, and no one really expects much from us. 
But the minute the clock strikes midnight on your 30th birthday, that's it. Society expects us to immediately have our shit together. And if you're a single childless woman, especially, bloody hell, it's even worse. It feels very much that the minute you turn 30, people start tapping their watches at you saying, come on, hurry up. You've run out of time. Get on with being a proper, you know, whatever proper means, adult. But it doesn't work like this, or at least it didn't for me. At 29 and a half, I found myself really dissatisfied and a bit at sea with the prospect of being in my 30s. I didn't have the life that I wanted. So I started to systematically change everything about it and this took ages. I quit my job, or actually I quit my jobs because I had three at the time, and I moved countries and I made new friends and I started therapy and stopped my unhealthy lifestyle. My early 30s really were a kind of washing machine of change. To help me through all this, I sought out the work of writers and of journalists and podcasters and therapists and coaches who were all writing about self-development, particularly in this transformative period of life between your 20s and 30s. One of those was life coach and podcaster Emma Wilson, also known as the Turning 30 Coach. Emma is a year older than me and I've been following her own Turning 30 journey for a few years now. She's British but lives in Tel Aviv and her life's mission is dedicated to helping to give her clients the tools that they need to build the life they love at 30. Her podcast, her courses and her work really speaks to me, especially as she's put a lot of focus recently on the idea of finding happiness alone in your 30s. I reached out to ask whether she'd like to talk to me about the theme of choosing yourself, of making a commitment to yourself and of making yourself happy in your 30s. Hi, Emma. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for inviting me. I am a big fan of the Turning 30 podcast. I find it really validating. I started following you around the time that I also turned 30. I think we're very a very similar age. And yeah, I find it really nice to know that not all 30-somethings are out doing the same thing, which I think it's the decade of comparison, isn't it? It's the decade where you think, oh my God, everyone's just doing that and I need to do that. Uh, and that can be really isolating, can't it? hundred percent. I think that's just an amazing way to phrase it. It's the decade of comparison because in our twenties, up until our kind of mid to late twenties, in general, we're all in a similar stage of life. And then all of a sudden you turn 30 and like, oh my God, when did that happen? That people started settling down and some people are procreating and some people are still traveling. And there's just this big disparity between where you are and where all your friends are so definitely the decade of comparison is a great way to phrase it you have a podcast called turning 30 podcast but you're also the turning 30 life coach can you just maybe tell me a little bit about your story and kind of how and why you came to be a life coach and a podcast host of course I can I studied psychology prior to doing law degree Mm -hmm. became a lawyer was living in London was living the corporate dream shall we say and very quickly knew once I'd started my training that it wasn't the life for me and I I knew I didn't see myself settling down in London but then I think the thing that really kicked off becoming a life coach and going on the path that I'm on now was my own turning 30 journey so when I was turning 29 I just looked ahead to the next year and I was like wow I'm not happy with where I am nothing was really wrong you know I always say this it's it's not like I didn't hit the rock bottom and my whole life fell apart which you hear a lot about in the coaching industry it wasn't 
so much a dramatic story. It was just things felt a little bit mediocre and I just felt ready for some direction and some clarity to find a career that I liked because I was working in a job that didn't particularly feel special to me. I was single, but not very happily single and dating in a not very productive way. And I just felt discontent. And I think that a lot of people feel that way, but they don't necessarily know what to do with it. And that's when I discovered life coaching and started to really go on this path of sorry to sound cheesy but self-discovery where it led me to then becoming a coach and now the path was very windy because it wasn't that I had this turning 30 crisis and then I became a life coach and then that was it becoming a coach took many years and I also did many other jobs at the same time and went through many other things but from around three four years ago was when I started focusing predominantly on this target audience and noticed just how important it is and just how many people are struggling uh, feeling alone and feeling discontent and so that's really what led me to a become a coach and be really focused on this niche a, a lot of the, the people who do reach out to you are women right it's, it's mainly it's female focused completely female focused and it didn't start that way just to make really? a point that I didn't ever set out and say okay I only want to work with women but what I uncovered along the way is that most men don't have the same expectations of turning 30 they do have the same social pressures but a little bit later 35 40 sometimes at 30 maybe a few things about career and money but they don't have biological clocks so they're not thinking of these things and I think society as well puts more pressure on women at 30 than they do men so over the years I've had a few consultation calls with men I've had one male client out of over 100 so really yeah why? Apart from the biological clock, do you think there's, there's anything else that puts women under so much pressure? I think aging. Yeah, I think that society is set up to make you feel bad about aging. And a lot of it we don't even realise. When we really think about it, think about anti-wrinkle creams and Botox. And we're being messaged all the time by society that we should not grow old as women. Look at what men have. Men age like a fine wine. You know, men grow old gracefully. A man who is single in his 40s is applauded and a woman who is single in her 30s is pitied. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And and what are the common themes that your clients come to you with? Is it a lot to do with dating and being single? Yeah, I think I always say that my clients come to me because something is not feeling right. Obviously on the inside, that's always the core of everything. But on the outside, there's usually some external factors that makes the switch where they say, okay, I'm ready for a change. And it's usually something to do either with career. So it could be not feeling happy in a career or wanting to maybe go freelance or get the new job or go for that promotion. Or alternatively, I see the most common is relationships. So maybe just gone through a breakup or been single for a while, want to start dating, not happy with dating. So those are the external things. And then at the end of the day, everyone comes because they're feeling these pressures. There's lots of self-doubt, comparison, lack of confidence, imposter syndrome. How do you help unstick people? Like, I mean, that's a massive question. <laughs> and you'll probably be revealing your secret. But like, how do you start to kind of even unpack all that? It's big. Yeah, it is big. And I think the answer was even in what I was just explaining just then is that people come to me thinking that things aren't right on the outside. So they want the quick fix. They want to take action and say, okay, I want to apply for the new job or I want to go on the dating app. So I want to break up with my boyfriend or whatever it is. And really the answer is it's about the relationship with yourself. So we start there and start to understand really what's going on underneath because only then can you really make any sustainable 
change on the outside. The how is is by learning how to coach yourself. I teach my clients how to access their thoughts, really understand what's going on in their minds. We do what I call uncovering limiting beliefs. So the stories, the narratives that you're telling yourself about yourself. So we really start there and it, it's amazing. When clients come to me, especially ones who've never dove into personal development or a process like this before the change can be really big because if you've never done something and all of a sudden you start becoming aware and you start journaling and you start sitting with your emotions and all of these things it can it can be life-changing oh yeah I mean we're not taught to do any of that we're not taught how to be alone and how to be with ourselves it's a a really big problem and whether whether you're kind of like trying to fix it through you know life coaching psychotherapy psychology all those things right now seems to be when everyone has just realized like oh my god we you have to start from yourself it's the only place to start from exactly and and that's why the pandemic for all its awfulness did actually propel people to sit with themselves they became alone because we were actually all in solitude or in some form of solitude and to ask these big questions that we so often avoid because they're not everyday life we're running around we're going from social plan to social plan from work to all the other things that we're doing in our lives and we don't ever stop and then all of a sudden we were all forced to stop so there's no coincidence that my business absolutely took off the year that the pandemic hit because people discovered the importance of this work you know I really hope people don't forget about it because I do feel especially in the UK it's like okay pandemic's done like okay we can forget about the awfulness that's fine everyone can move on no one has to re-traumatize themselves but there was something really important about people having to to sit with themselves and, and understand that loneliness is can be can be good and can be useful you know so I really hope people don't forget about no. that aspect of it I share your worry as well, but I think that it has caused some sort of collective waking up. How has this work that you've been doing since you did turn 30, how has it changed your attitude and your relationship with your 30s or how you thought your 30s might be when you were in your 20s? Yeah, I always say this, that I am able to show up and connect with my clients and my my audience, my, my podcast listeners so well because I am them 34 years old almost 35 I am single I'm going through all of the same things that my clients go through so I'm just experiencing it all the time and I'm just so grateful I have coaching as a tool that I use on myself that I can also obviously use to help others but yeah primarily it's it helps me live the life that I enjoy and I want to live and my 30s have been a roller coaster in in a really good way but it's not been like oh I had a turning 30 crisis at 29 discovered life coaching and now everything's like rainbows and daisies I absolutely not yeah. the past few years I've gone through huge life changes I went through a huge breakup of four years at the age of 33 that you know if I hadn't been coached or know these tools I do not know how I would have coped with, with what I went through them and yeah, it's just changed my life in every way because I'm able to, you know, relate to myself more and coach myself. Well, it's kind of like what you said at the beginning. It's not a straight path. It's like a wiggly line. And that, so that's so true. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm there. I've made it. It's great. And then this whole this year, everything's just fallen apart. And I'm like, oh, I've got to go back and I've got to start again. But it's fine because it's just part of the process. It, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a wiggly, wiggly line. How do you kind of relate to being by yourself? Do you spend quite a lot of time on your own? Do you live alone? Do you like it? I used to have a real problem with being alone and eating alone. It was a big thing for me. And it was something that I think I would pretend that I was okay with being alone because it's like kind of not cool to say that you don't want to be alone. But really now I look back, 
even to my early 30s. And I just, yeah, I did have a problem with it. I think I was always trying to make sure that it wasn't necessarily being alone. It was just making sure that if I didn't want to be alone, that I could have plans with other people and they would be available to me. I came out of this long-term relationship and this quite hard breakup and went to live alone for the first time. So at the age of 33, I actually went through this the week of my 33rd birthday. I started looking for apartments alone, first time living by myself. And I have to tell you, it's the best thing that could ever have happened to me. I just, now I cannot imagine living with anyone else. That is it. The the success to a future happy uh, relationship for me is separate housing or at least separate bedrooms. Amen. Yeah, really. I think (laughs) it's normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. So living alone for me was just a huge eye opener of how wonderful it can be to just be in your own space after so long of having to share it with with someone. Then I set off traveling in winter 2020. And I've solo traveled quite a lot in the past, especially for, for business. I've always kind of done city breaks here and there, traveled solo once for a couple of weeks um, in Brazil. And this was the first time that I actually said, no, I'm going away for a few months, completely alone. And it all happened very spontaneously when it happened. And all of a sudden I'm on the plane on the way to Mexico and I'm like, shit, I'm yeah. going away alone. And that means I have to eat alone because I was so weird about eating in restaurants by myself that other people would be looking at me had this huge big thing about it and it was amazing I learned so much I really can't explain enough how glad I am that I got out of my comfort zone and did that because now I just love it and now I think I've got the pendulum song the other way I'm like I'm too alone well is it (laughs) like how do you get yourself back that is it's like what you're saying that's the success if you don't want to be with anyone else it's it kind of is the mark of your success but you know I don't think it's a bad thing because it just means that you just get really fussy I agree And I actually, I don't think it's a bad thing because I think this happens a lot that people, and I talk about being single as an example, people think that if you're single and you admit you like it, then it's going to doom you. Oh yeah. I think people in general are really threatened by a woman in her mid thirties who would say, oh, I really, really love being alone. And I really love being single. I choose it sometimes. And it's almost like, don't say that because then you'll never meet someone. You know, you can hear that judgy voice. But the truth is, it's not mutually exclusive. You can enjoy being single and you can enjoy being alone and then choose not to be. And I think that's a really important message that people aren't saying enough. It's like magical thinking to think if I say I enjoy being alone, then I'm always going to be alone. I'm going to die alone. Yeah, it's not true. It's just really not true. But I see the superstition. And I also telling you this from experience, you know, I also was coming out of this Uh, relationship thinking oh my god how long am I going to be single for and how long am I going to live alone and it's fine it's really important that people start speaking louder about it being something good and beneficial and that's really why our missions overlap so much because we're both doing that we're both speaking out loud about that I mean after your breakup how long did it take for you to feel sort of all right being by yourself the first period of being alone was actually great it was hard because yeah. obviously you're going through this um, big life change, but I was processing this breakup and also having lived with someone for a long time that I didn't realize until I was out of it, how much I needed to have some of my own space. And then there was a really difficult time. I'd say after about three months after the breakup, I had a few months when it felt really confronting. Now let's remember this breakup occurred smack bang in the middle of the pandemic. So right, okay. it was in the middle of lockdown. So, right. And I remember having a very specific conversation with my sister and and being like, I'm so alone. I'm so lonely. I can't do this. It's so hard. You know, I hadn't seen anyone for a really long time. 
and did go through a, a trouble patch with it. And I remember speaking to her about it and being like, lean into it. Like the more that you feel this resistance to being alone and feeling lonely, you know, I knew that there was something to explore. I knew that if I was having such resistance to being alone, it meant that I should be. And I should really understand why it was so hard to spend time in my own company. And actually that was what propelled me to book the trip. So it was that exact point where I said, okay, there's something to learn here. And then I booked the, the, the ticket to Central America. And I think that that trip changed a lot for me. It really, really helped me to get comfortable with being alone, to accept it, to, and not just accept it, to also feel good about it. And then it also helped me to understand that making new friends in your 30s is not only possible, it's, it's amazing. And I met these amazing friends who are still my friends now. When I got back from that trip, so it's coming up to the year of the breakup. That was when I was like, wow, being alone is the thing. And yeah. I started to promote it in my business. It became a thing. I did a podcast episode called the Solo Date Challenge, talking about just how important it is to take yourself out on dates and do those things. I then have just released a course about making friendships in your 30s because that's become a whole focus of mine as well. And also went off on a second trip this winter another one alone and I was just like I'm addicted to this you know I don't I can't see that I'm ever not going to do it. I love the idea of solo dating talk me through solo dating what's the kind of key principles of it? The solo date challenge was what I introduced to really make that mindset shift of being alone as something negative to being alone as something positive. And it came from my personal experience that I used to have this really big thing about being alone on a Friday night. It was my big thing. I really didn't enjoy it here where, where I live. Friday nights are family time and it's the time when you all get together. And I always felt left out of, you know, other people were doing that with their partners or their families. All of a sudden I was like, no, I want to start spending really intentional, conscious time by myself and I'm going to proactively plan it so it came from that and the whole theme of the solo date challenge is that you don't have to wait for somebody else to ask you on a date you don't have to wait for somebody else to be available at the weekend I think a lot of us do this in our 30s is that we say okay if I make a plan with my friends that's my plan for the weekend I'll see them on Saturday for brunch and then one person can't do it because the baby says to let them down and the other person can't do it because something came up at work and then you end up being disappointed because you've been hinging all of your weekend on these plans so when you solo date you just do the thing that you wanted to do and you don't you don't do it because you've been cancelled on you do it from the start just for yourself it can be going to an exhibition or a museum that you've wanted to go to for a while going for a long walk somewhere going to a coffee shop, taking a book, going to a park, going out for dinner to a nice restaurant. It can be whatever you want it to be. And then you don't invite people. And if they ask to come, which usually happens, by the way, because when you yeah. switch energy, when you switch your energy from Vic to me, like, oh, who's going to make a plan with me to like, oh, I'm making a plan and doing my own thing. Then people all of a sudden want some of that. And they're like, oh, I'll come where? Then you've got to say no. That's the rule of solo date challenge. Say no, they're not coming. <laughs> and then you do it and you stick to it and you commit to it in the same way that you would commit somebody else's arrangement. I love it. I get all my clients to do it. They go out for Sunday roast. They go to the cinema alone and they always feed back the same thing of how great it was and they can't believe they didn't do it before. I love that. It's like committing to yourself. Yeah. And then in, in terms of eating alone, what do you like to eat alone? What, what does an ideal meal out on your own look like? Well, I was in Central America both times. So I was in Mexico, Costa Rica and Panama. So there were a lot of tacos involved, I have oh, that's to say. Great. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of tacos involved. So I'm going to say that's my go-to food for yeah. sure. When I'm eating alone, I think the thing I like to do the most is eat on a bar. So that's really nice because, you know, sitting at a table alone, I'm not saying there's something wrong with it, but it can feel a bit like there's supposed to be someone else there. But when you sit on a bar and you like look around you, look at the restaurant, maybe have a chit chat with the bar staff. 
there's something about it that's more acceptable. So to anybody who wants to eat alone, I recommend finding for your first go a place with a, a nice bar. And I've met really nice people just by sitting on a bar because most other singletons who are eating alone also sit on the bar. So yeah, tacos and sit on a bar. Do you cook? Uh, I wouldn't classify myself as a cook. It comes in waves and it's very dependent on how busy work is. But yeah, I do. I do like to cook. And it's actually something difficult because when I in the past have been in relationships or living with others, living with roommates, it feels like that urge to cook more because can really share the dining experience and also it's a lot of effort sometimes for yourself just to cook a whole big yeah. meal. And I'm not um, the kind of person that loves cooking that much that I enjoy the process. And I, I wish I could. Oh, not um, everyone is. And that's totally yeah. fine. I'll make probably a, a few meals a week, I would say, alone. I really cook comfort food. I I think my go-to is a spaghetti bolognese, to be honest. No, it's the best thing to cook when you're on your own. Yeah. Why is that? I just find it really easy. And I just, I know the recipe off by heart and I love it. And then it, it stores well in the fridge for the week. And it's something I can eat every meal. So that's my go-to spaghetti bolognese is the one a massive thank you to emma for taking the time to talk to me and share her thoughts about committing to yourself and whether you're in your 30s whether you're about to reach your 30s or whether your 30s are long gone this is an important philosophy i think at any age really I recorded this conversation a couple of months ago and since then i've been putting the idea of the solo date challenge to good use And I've been really scheduling in time for myself. I recently went back on dating apps, but I hate it. I really, really hate it. But anyway, I'm doing it. And last weekend, I was asked out by a guy I've been talking to. But I declined, actually. And I said to him pretty openly that I didn't have alternative weekend plans. It was just that I felt like I really needed to spend the weekend alone catching up with myself as I haven't had time to recently he didn't message me back but I did have a lovely weekend alone I've put up a link to the turning 30 website and podcast on the how to eat alone podcast page so have a look follow Emma on Instagram listen to her podcast it's fab and the themes that she speaks about are just so relevant to so many of us in our 30s To sit alongside this episode, I've put up a recipe for spaghetti bolognese. I know a lot of you, most of you, have probably already perfected your own version of a spag bol. Maybe it was one of the first things that you learned how to cook. I know that's true in my case. And it's also one of those dishes that so many people, like Emma, who don't necessarily classify themselves as a cook or who don't like cooking, know how to do really well. And that's also what I really like about spaghetti bolognese. What I find so interesting about it is that it's one of those dishes that there are so many variations of and so many people have secret ingredients for their own special spag bol. It's another kitchen staple, right? It's another one of the solo cook's friends. You can find this recipe and all the other recipes from the podcast on howtoeatalone.substack.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram. The Instagram handle is How to Eat Alone Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed being alone with me. If you like this podcast, please give it a good rating on whichever platform you get your podcast from and share it with anyone who you think might like it too. See you next time for the next episode of How to Eat Alone. <laughs>